This is the Gospel for Life, where we have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. Around the table today is Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Jonathan Van Hoogen from Dayspring United Reformed Church, Vinnie Hanke from Valley Life Community Church, and Ryan Hemphill from Treasure Valley Reformed Presbyterian Church. To catch earlier broadcasts, just search The Gospel for Life wherever you subscribe. To find out more about this ministry and about our annual conference, go to ReformationBoise.com. Welcome back to The Gospel for Life. A couple days ago, we unleashed the great news of our speakers for the upcoming conference in September, September 22nd, 23rd. And you're saying, well, that, that Russ, that is not upcoming. That is months away. It will be here before you know it. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we are already excited. We are already anticipating the event. It actually um, moves it up uh, you know, from our October general time uh, together. So it's coming faster than you think. Yep. And our two speakers are Dr. Jonathan Gibson. Um, We've had books of his at previous conferences, The Moon is Always Round. He's got these acrostic books for kids. He has published lots of books on liturgy. He had one on um, a bigger tome on Reformation worship, but he also had um, a liturgical devotional called Be Thou My Vision. Um, There, hopefully... It will be released by conference. He has one very similar to that, but specifically about Advent um, that's coming out in September. So we're excited um, about having him come. And then Dr. Miles Van Pelt is an Old Testament um, professor at Reformed Theological Seminary in Jackson, Mississippi, and has been an editor of countless books. But they are going to come, and both of them are Old Testament scholars, and they're going to come and teach on covenant theology, which absolutely permeates the Word of God, that covenant theology is is throughout, cover to cover, and hopefully... Basically, it's, I will be your God, you will be my people. Mm-hmm. That's, the, that's the, the germ of it, and this is the comfort that we have, uh, that He is our God, we are related as His people to Him, and so that, I, I'm looking forward to this conference. There are several of us around this table that didn't grow up in uh, uh, churches that embrace covenant theology. And when I came to, and I think Jonathan would say the same thing, when we came to see this, um, I think both of us were probably in our 20s, is that mm-hmm. right, Jonathan? Mm-hmm. That I, I just couldn't believe that I had not seen it. It and, opened and, up the Bible to us. It, it opened up the whole thread of redemption from Genesis 3.15 all the way to the end. Um, just to, that it connected those things, you know, instead of, you know, "Quote unquote dispensations of time, where things were, you know, here's what happened here, and then we set that aside, and then here's what happened there, and we set it aside." The, this theme theme of redemptive theology all the way through just like became, uh, you know, it, it was like a, you know, it just flowered. It just, everything just came alive. So yeah. so much beauty. So much. Yeah, I mean, I'm, re- I'm reading the Old Testament as part of my mail rather than somebody else's mail. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. that, that just that just changed everything. And maybe Vinny and, and Ryan are in the same boat. I know Ryan is not. I think he cut his teeth on Reformed theology and covenant Fed theology. It, it from a baby. Yes. <laughs> I don't actually know. <laughs> no, I was a Calvary Chapel classic dispensationalist until I started dating a young lady whose father was from the Dutch Reformed Church. And so 
he uh, helped reform me. But yeah. yeah, when when I was introduced to covenant theology and it and it finally clicked, like Jonathan, very similar experience. The whole Bible reopened up. It was like I was reading it for the first time, and I think God became the chief actor in all of Scripture. All of a sudden, right. and I had not always read the Bible that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, confessedly, all of a sudden, God was on every page, doing everything for the sake of His people and His redemptive plan. I will say, our uh, or or my Old Testament professor, he was getting his PhD. He was finishing it as we were going through. And he was getting it uh, at a Jewish university, and so you know he would go there and 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 he would have these conversations, you know, with his professors that he relate to us of, you know, oh, you love the Torah, why aren't you a Jew? Type of thing, and so he would have opportunities to share, you know, this is why. But what he brought into the classroom was in his classes there, they would say things like, when we left Egypt, mm. you know, when we did this and that, and so he brought that into our classroom at the Reformed Presbyterian Theological Seminary. He would talk that way when you're talking about the Old Testament scriptures mm-hmm. of when we were doing this. And that really is, that is our history, as Jonathan said. That, that, that's our mail that we can mm-hmm. read, and it's our history. So we are super excited. We, we think that this really does help you see a richness and a beauty that can easily be either forgotten or ignored. And so we're hoping that as these two men come and speak on these these truths, that you will embrace um, this 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 wonder of a covenant God who has taken a people for Himself. But we are are we're excited about this conference. We're using our time. We'll get back to our our subject at hand. We are supposed to be talking about progressive Christianity and really responding to progressive Christianity. Modern liberalism. Yes, modern liberalism. Mm-hmm. Anti-covenantal. Um, yes, that is actually what it is. Nice segue. Yes. That was the segue that we were looking for. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I could serve. And um, today we are going to deal with number eight, and that is that peacemaking is more important than power. And the, the bottom to this is that pastors, elders are really about control and are willing to step on or over others to get power and to maintain control. And before we get to this, I, I just have to say that, unfortunately, we have seen way too much of this recently in the church. Yeah, um, I would like to say that those that are from a reform perspective have been immune to this, and we have not. And sadly, it's something that the church has, has done that is sinful, that is wrong, and the church, those that have been engaged in this type of behavior really um, need to repent. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So we don't want to, we don't want to sweep things under the rug and say, there's no truth to this accusation. There, there is some truth to the accusation, mm-hmm. um, but the principle is wrong. Mm-hmm. So how would you respond to this idea about pastors, elders hungry for control, that peacemaking is more important than power? How would you respond to that? I think one of the distinctions that's in the book is making or recognizing the difference between authority and authoritarianism. That that is there there are offices in the church that we've talked about in the previous episode that Jesus has instituted those of, of elders and deacons, but those are postures of servanthood, mm-hmm. both in the in the spiritual and in the physical stewardship of the church's resources. Um, when those offices are abused using authoritarianism, that is a problem. We need to acknowledge that. But to just just dismiss those and saying, well, all authority is bad because some people have abused it, mm-hmm. is it 
is a mistake. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is authority in the church that Christ has instituted, that is, but it's to be used for the love and service of God's people to help them flourish, not to create a power trip. And there's two you know, key biblical teachings regarding yeah. the relationship between authority and the church and, and the congregation. One, the congregation is to conduct themselves in such a way that people who are put in positions of authority over them can be in those positions and have joy in those positions. And, um, you know, there's you know, four pastors here around this table and there are periods where it's not too joyful because of <laughs> things that we're dealing with. But then on the other side, from the authority point of view, Jesus says, we are not to lord it over <coughs> people. Yeah. Uh, we are to be those servants. We're to follow Christ in laying down our lives in service for those that Christ has played, placed us over. And so if you find yourself in a church that's more in the authoritative category, where your leaders are are going outside the bounds of Scripture, and I think that really is the point of where that line is crossed, our authority lies only in what God has said in His Word. And if we start making demands outside of His Word, that's where we've crossed the line and need to be challenged on that. Yeah. Who more than Jesus had authority, right? And who more than Jesus used that authority for the sake of peacemaking, yeah? Right, laying down his life in the service of God's people. Great book. If you if you've been in a church uh, abusive situation, is when narcissism comes to church by Chuck DeGroat. Mm. It really offers some practical steps to work through that recovery from spiritual abuse. Mm. I think it's just helpful. Sometimes we look at it as a the church as a democracy. Mm. Mm. And so then when it doesn't function as a democracy, then we call it authoritarian. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have to remember our society functions as a democracy republic. A um, representative form of yeah. government. Mm-hmm. But the church isn't. Um, God didn't design it as a democracy. He designed it as with a benevolent king. Uh, uh, yeah, well, we have a benevolent uh, there's king. A kingdom, yeah, there's yeah. a representation there that the the leadership comes from the people, but represents the people before God. Um, they have been ordained by God, called, gifted for that ministry, and so that's they have that particular position. Elders don't answer to the congregation. This is the the mindset you just have to flip. Elders answer to God, mm-hmm. and and so. In our humanness, we tend to think that elders are are answerable to the people in the pew. The bottom line is that the elders are answerable to the king who sits on the throne in heaven. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, they're under shepherds. They serve a shepherd. They serve a king. Yeah. And and yes, that's um, the scary thing for being a pastor. I yep. mean, you are you're responsible to God alone. That's and so. Uh, you're actually employed by him. Uh, you know, somebody else may be giving you a salary, but that's that's who you are accountable to. And we watch over other people's souls as those that are going to give an account to God. So that you know, it is a, a frightening thing uh, for us. Now, that's it, why we, even like beyond pastors, but elders, you know, mm-hmm. when 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 men are really gung ho about being either a ruling elder in my context or a pastor. Mm-hmm. I red flags just go off in my head because I I don't think that they have duly examined what they are wanting to do. 
There is that 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 word in scripture: "Don't lay hands on anyone too suddenly," right. and, that, and that's because of the responsibilities to reflect the word of God. In fact, everything about the church, what we do, and the authority that we have is declarative. And we just declare the word of God. That's you know that's the authority that we have. We have the authority to declare the word of God as it's been communicated in His Word. You know, there's you know we don't have coercive power, and that's right. where well, that's where you know maybe you get into those situations where you're recognizing that the church is really truly being abusive. They've they've gone they've stepped over that. Line. They, they've moved beyond their authority, right? The delegated right. declarative authority they've received from Christ, they've moved beyond that in trying to coerce others. And I think to go back to what you talked about, like we really don't want elders who are answerable to the congregation, right? The one example we get is Aaron yeah. right outside of Egypt, right? <laughs> Where he's answering to the congregation, all of a sudden we've got a golden calf. We, we right. really don't want that. Mm-hmm. What we do want is humble servants who bring forth the word of God for the good of God's people and his glory. And we also don't want we don't want elders that are answerable to the pastor. Right. right. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so all of us in around here embrace the idea that it's the elders, the plurality of elders that, right. that rule over or govern the church yep. um, because in multiple leadership there is wisdom and there's corrective. And so when you have a church where it's funneled up to a single person, that also is unhealthy and, and tends towards authoritative behavior. Mm-hmm. And we just very quickly as we close up this show we just do want to reach out to those that have been in in situations where Mm. you've experienced abuse from those in leadership in the church unfortunately that has happened it does happen and it should not happen Um, it's an insult to the king of the church who lovingly gave his life for his sheep and didn't abuse his sheep but but redeemed them and so if you have been in those situations um, we do offer our our sincere apologies um, not because we've done it but because it's been done in the name of jesus christ yeah well you've been listening to gospel for life we will see you tomorrow